Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let us ask Our Lady to pray for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now. Our Lady of Walsingham. Please be seated. Now at the time, I'll just say this to begin with, if at any time people can't hear, put up your hands, right? So if I don't see hands going up, I should presume that you can hear. Uh, obviously, in the time at our disposal, the great many aspects of the life of prayer which I shan't be able to treat, because if you try to treat everything, you just touch on a lot of things very, very slightly, and nothing could be gone into more deeply. And I think it better to try and, while giving a sort of general panorama in a way, to touch on a few points more deeply rather than to color to wider field. For instance, I should say nothing about praying for the departed, which I think is very important. And I think McCann's book on the healing of the family tree has reminded of that but there'll be no time for that. And I shall not sharply talk about praying for healing, which will be the subject of this evening's talk. Now the thesis in my mind, I have a sort of thesis in my mind, and it's this. The neglecting of prayer is largely responsible for the spiritual weakness of many Christians, the tepidity of many Christian communities, and the ineffectiveness of much Christian outreach. Is that any better? Yeah. Right? Good. I'll repeat that. That the neglecting of prayer is largely responsible for the spiritual weakness of many Christians, the tepidity of many Christian communities, and the ineffectiveness of much Christian outreach. You could hear? Fine. Now, you know, many Christians give so little place in their lives to prayer and regard that very little place they give as normal. And then they wonder, when they give practically no time at all to prayer, they wonder why their Christian life isn't flourishing. And if we're not taking prayer seriously, indeed very seriously, we cannot expect our Christian life to flourish in any direction. And it's not surprising that we fall down in many ways. Prayer is right at the basis of Christian life. Charity is the main thing, charity love, but prayer is a basic expression of love. Now Jesus said to us, Luke chapter 18, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Always to pray. In Romans chapter 12 we read, Be constant in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, pray constantly. And yet, despite these words from, clear words from Scripture, many Christians give prayer practically no place in their daily life. They think that they can perhaps get by on five or ten minutes prayer a day and then wonder why their Christian life isn't flourishing. Now when St. Paul talks about being constant in prayer and our Lord always to pray, I'm sure that they didn't mean to be saying prayers all the time. That would not be practical. You'd have car accidents, you'd burn the cooking, the counts would go wrong. What I think they mean is this, that we have to move, we have to move towards living in the presence of God, a contemplative experience of God. 
That's what we've got to move towards. And you get that in some of the great saints. You know, in the midst of the busiest of activities, they have a contemplative awareness of God being with them. That's what we're called to move towards. But in practice, we shan't make much progress towards it unless we put aside enough time each day for prayer. It's true that we should also pray in many other times. You know, pray when you do the ironing. I don't do ironing, but I understand that uh, some people do that. Fine. Pray while you're waiting for the bus to arrive. Pray while you're waiting to be served in the shop. Pray while you're walking up the stairs. All that is excellent. And we need to do more of that the better. Pray when you just send up those little dark prayers to God, arrow prayers to God in the midst of a conversation or anything. All that is to be excellent and encouraged. But we shan't do all that much of that kind of informal prayer, spontaneous prayer, if in fact we don't put aside enough time each day for prayer when we're only praying. And you know this is particularly important for people who are not mature in the spiritual life. Some of you will have read, many of you will have read, I think, Brother Lawrence's Practice of the Presence of God. Right? He'd, become a, he'd become a great contemplative, he'd become a mystic. He was able to be aware of the presence of Jesus in the midst of the busiest activities. But most of you are not brothers and sister Lawrences. And for most of you, in fact, unless you put aside enough time each day for prayer, your Christian life isn't going to go well and your prayer life is not going to develop. What is sufficient time? And this is one of the main points I want to make. So if people want to go to sleep, well, after this point, please. (laughs) This is one of the key points I want to make. And I want to say this. I think the idea of what is sufficient time for most Christians, is woefully and pathetically inadequate. I even think that's true for many people who go to prayer groups each week. And I think we're not being serious enough about, well, serious at all about the life of prayer unless we're to, willing to give enough time to it. Delia Smith goes round saying, one hour a day plus mass daily. And she describes how in the midst of a very busy life she found time for that and how that's greatly enriched her life altogether. Now I'm very hesitant about saying how much time people should spend on prayer because circumstances are vastly different and needs are vastly different. And there may be a mother here of five young children and a job and she might come up to me after the meeting with a carving knife and say, now what nonsense are you talking about? What do you expect me to do in my situation? I know some people are in very tight situations and rarely it would be much more difficult for some people to put time aside for prayer than for others. And where somebody is authentically prevented by many pressures, pressures which God has put there, he will make up for their inability to be longer alone with him in prayer. But that doesn't apply to most of us. Dealer Smith says one hour plus daily mass. I'm sure there are many people, well I'm sure there are many people here who do that already. I'm sure there are many people who here who do more than that. I'm sure there are many people who ought to be doing much more than that. If they've got their priorities in time and energy right. On our Friday night prayer group we have a practicing medical doctor who often spends four hours a day in prayer. Right, she has a a special ministry of intercession of prayer and she has regular hours as a doctor, which not all doctors do. But she sets the alarm for five in the morning and has done over two hours prayer before she goes to work and mass at midday and sometimes another two hours in the evening. Now I know not everybody could do that. I know that God doesn't want everybody to do that. There may be some people here who God wants to do more than that, because that is a person who has a full-time job. But you see, we really need to rethink the amount of time we give to God in prayer and spiritual reading. How do we hope to counter the hours of exposure to the world daily if we only spend, say, 15 minutes in prayer? You see, 
the way of the world is not the way of Jesus. And the, the ways of the world, the influence of the world, the standards of the world are being, coming in at us all the time. In advertisements, in advertisements, in the media, in the shops, in the talk, at work, among neighbours. All the times the values of the world are shouting at us. You travel in the tube and you're told that happiness exists in having that sort of cigar, that sort of car, that sort of holiday. These things are becoming at us all the time. How can we expect to counter them and live in the atmosphere of the gospel if we only spend 15 minutes a day in prayer? It isn't being serious. You know, we say that Jesus comes first in our life. And the test of how serious that is, is the amount of time we're willing to spend talking to Jesus and his heavenly Father. You know, supposing a man says to his wife, you are the human being who comes first in my life, and he's willing to talk to her for half an hour a week. Doesn't add up, does it? Right, well, when we say, Jesus, you come first in our life, and you can have 20 minutes of my time today, if you're lucky, it doesn't add up. And that explains why the lives of many of us are so weak from the Christian point of view, because we're swamped by the world and we give Jesus so little time in prayer that he hasn't a chance of letting us be taken over by the values of the gospel. St. Francis of Assisi apparently said that it sometimes took him one hour to get through to God in prayer. Well, that means if he stopped after 15 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, he didn't get through. Now, we're not all budding St. Francis's here, are we? And if it took him an hour to get through, perhaps it will sometimes take us longer. And maybe the reason we often don't get through into God at all in prayer is because we just don't spend the time on it. You, we know that in any other direction in life, if we want to succeed, we've got to spend time on it, whether it's study or music or sport or whatever. And that applies to prayer. It's true, it's all a work of grace. But God wants us to put aside times so that his grace can work in us. And I think we need times of longer prayer. That's to say, not just what is possible in the day, but it may be a weekend retreat or an afternoon off. Maybe some of us should be writing in our diaries sometimes, Saturday afternoon, 2.30 to 5.30, prayer. And, when, and if somebody says, are you free Saturday afternoon, you look at your diary and you say no. I was able to go to America to a monastery of ours on a sort of semi-retreat a few years ago, a course of spiritual directors, and I was able to spend more time in prayer in the afternoons than I normally do. And I was finding how that two hours is often much more than twice one hour, and three hours is often much more than three times one hour in prayer. So maybe our prayer life isn't more because we're simply not spending the time on it. Ask yourselves, if you've got your priorities right, how much time do you spend in the week reading the newspaper, looking at TV and the radio, and that sort of thing, compared with prayer and reading the Bible? Ask yourself, have you got your priorities right? You see, we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we mean that, we're saying, Jesus, my time is yours, my energy is yours, I want to spend as long in prayer each day as you want. That's what saying the Our Father means, doesn't it? Have we really said that about our time and energy in relation to prayer? I would really like us to let this talk challenges on this particular point. Ask God to show you how much time he wants you to give to prayer and when. Ask God to show you. And have a moment of silence perhaps at the end of the prayer. Ask God to show you. And then try to stick to it. And we need a disciplined life of prayer. Any idea, you know, I pray when I feel like it is a remedy for disaster because the enemy sees to it that we don't often feel like it. We've got to give ourselves to prayer in a disciplined way so that we, at a certain times we turn to prayer unless there's a serious reason for not doing so. 
when there is a serious reason, of course you should put the prayer aside. When God doesn't always want us to be inflexible in those ways, but not to put that time aside too easily. And for many of us, that will mean getting up earlier in the morning. Because often after that, you know, the telephone goes and people knock on the door. In many of us, it may mean God is asking you to get up a quarter of an hour earlier, half an hour earlier, three quarters of an hour earlier, an hour earlier. Now, there may be some people here who are spending as much time in prayer as God wants. There may be even some people here who God wants to spend less time in prayer of that kind. I'm not saying that's all of us. But it's, it's highly probable that most of us here, God would like to spend more time in prayer. And if we did, that would be a great enrichment to our Christian life as a whole. How are we to spend our daily time in prayer? Well, basically, I say this. Pray as the Spirit leads you, enables you, inspires you. You see, the Spirit leads each person in a unique way. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit leads us in a different way at different times of our lives. And the important thing is not that you follow what Don Benedict says or what any rules say, that you, but you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we all have to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit about that in prayer, and there is no substitute for that. But having said that, we can learn from the experience of other Christians. We can learn from the experience of the saints and others in the body of Christ about from their life of prayer. So in a way, the things I'm going to say now are hints, hints which may help you in your life of prayer. Now, if something helps you, good, take it. If something I say is not for you, forget it. It may be just something for the neighbor next door, or it may be a lot of nonsense in any case, don't let anybody take any notice. What matters is that you are led by the Spirit in the life of prayer. But, you, but some of these things, God may speak to you through some of the things I'm saying, and I'm really just talking what happens in the Christian experience as a whole, the Christian community, the Christian tradition of spiritual life. Now, I think daily Mass is a wonderful blessing for all who can manage it. Now, I know there are many people who can't. There are many people who shouldn't try to go to daily Mass because their circumstances don't permit it. But for those who can, I think it's a wonderful blessing. I never went to communion till I was 22 because I'm a convert. And thank God I've been, to go to, I've been able to go to communion practically every day since. And what a wonderful blessing that's been in my life. Indeed, it's difficult to think of my Christian life except with that, that daily participation in, in the Eucharist. But I'm not going to develop that point particularly because time doesn't permit. An increasing number of Christians are finding that saying of the divine office or part of it is helpful and is a blessing. And I think that's a very good thing. And you know, the, the life of a monk gives a big place to the divine office, and I'm sure that God wants that to be spread beyond the monastic and the clerical world and the world of the religious life to lay people. But within limits. Some people find it helpful to say morning prayer, some people say morning prayer and evening prayer. Some people say the whole office. You just have to see what is right for you. I know this isn't right or possible for everybody. I'm sure God will want many people, more Catholics, to participate more in the divine office. But I want to give a slight word of warning here. There can be a danger of the recitation of the office becoming a formality. That's one of the great dangers for, for priests and religious and monastic choirs. You know, we've got to go to the choir at a certain time, we say the office. The danger is that it can become a formality, that it can become rushed, that it can be not really a very authentic prayer. So I want to give a few hints which uh, might help to, to make the recitation of the office more prayerful, more authentic, more meaningful. And the first is not to gabble not to say it too quickly. You know, I think it's much better to say three psalms prayerfully than nine psalms in a rush. 
So don't say more than you've time to say very prayerfully. And that means not too quickly. And if you find yourself gabbling to get through, we'll put the brake on. Ask yourself, what am I doing? Why am I here? I think another thing which can be a great help in saying the divine office, another thing is to have a silence after each psalm. In our own monastic choir in Cockfosters, we have a silence of about half a minute after each psalm. It certainly makes the office more prayerful. They can be sort of high moments in the, in the, the saying, the, the praying of the divine office. Try that. And take as long a silence as seems right for you. I said half a minute. Some people might find quarter of a minute right. Some people might find two minutes right. And then I want to say another thing about the Divine Office. You know, some people are saying, say, every day, morning prayer, or morning prayer and evening prayer. And if they're doing that, they're always saying the same psalms, and then the other half of the Psalter they never say. And that's a pity, because many of the best psalms, from the point of view of prayer, are found in the other part of the Psalter. So I think people should feel free sometimes to exchange the psalms of the day with other psalms, psalms which they wouldn't normally say, or perhaps with another psalm because it's particularly appropriate at that moment. You see, supposing you're really in a moment of trial and difficulty, well, it might be good to, instead of saying the first psalm, to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think you need a certain Christian liberty there in the selection of psalms. But that's for those who would find that helpful. You know, if you, if you prefer just to stick to the breviaries, it is fine. Now, I think there should be five elements in our daily prayer. And these elements, incidentally, are all found in the, in the Mass. Repentance, offering, listening, asking, praising. Not necessarily in that order. And I often like to start with praise and end with praise. And I want to say just a few words about each of these elements. Repentance. Sorry? Yes, I will. The five elements are repentance, offering, listening, asking, praising. A few words about repentance. We all need to grow in repentance daily. By that I don't mean to go over and over again about the sins of the past which have been forgiven. That could sometimes be unhealthy. But to repent of our lack of faith, hope, love, our pride, our selfishness today. Because as we become closer to Jesus, we should be more aware of things in our life which are not of him, and which need to be repented of. And you know, the person who's difficult to help is the person who doesn't think they need to repent. You know, sometimes somebody comes up to me and says, Father, well, I'm a good man, and I feel like saying, well, I'm not. But normally that's, a prior, that's an explanation of why they haven't been to church for ten years. <laughs> Father, I'm a good man. But we're all sinners. Original sin goes deep in each one of us. And we're called, each one of us will be called to grow in repentance till our last day on this earth. I think the Jesus prayer can be a great help for many people there. You know, in its full form, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, it comes from the Oriental Christian monastic tradition, but is widely used, increasingly used in the West today. It can be shortened, Jesus, have mercy me, a sinner, or Jesus mercy, or just the word Jesus. I find it helpful to repeat that quite a lot each day. And I'm sure I think many other people, you know, this sort of rhythmic prayer, I think rhythmic prayer of that kind can be good in other ways, like just repeating, praise you Jesus, or hallelujah, just to gently repeat a phrase like that. It's called effective prayer, sort of act of the will. But that can also be very helpful in repentance. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Some of the Psalms can be a great blessing there. I think of Psalm 50 or 51, according to the numbering you take, in the Psalm of David, that wonderful Psalm 
of repentance. It can be good just to repeat that psalm when you find yourself needing to repent. And of course, it's good to go to confession. To go to confession not too infrequently. That's also a blessing in repentance. It brings its own grace. I think sometimes, either in our own individual lives or in, the, in a prayer meeting, the praise is not really flowing because we first need to repent. You know, I find sometimes if you start a prayer meeting and sometimes the praise doesn't sound authentic, sounds a bit tinselish, doesn't really get off the ground, maybe if you have five minutes repentance and you return to praise, it will get off the ground. And that can apply to our own lives too. You know, I think there's a close relationship between praise and repentance. Repentance should lead to praise, deeper praise should lead to deeper repentance, deeper repentance should lead to still deeper praise. Don't let us ever try to bypass repentance. Now offering. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we really mean it, we are giving God everything. If we really mean it, we're saying, God, I want your perfect will to be done in every aspect of my life and everything connected with my life. And I think a great weakness in the preaching of many parishes is that the real challenge of that prayer is never brought before us. And I think that's one of the great weaknesses of the historic churches in this country at the moment and where we can perhaps sometimes learn from the Pentecostal churches or the independent charismatic churches. You know, Catholics can sometimes get the impression, well, if you go to Mass on Sundays and holidays of obligation and say some brief prayers morning and evening and don't commit adultery and don't forget to support the clergy financially, you're not doing too badly. Now, you know, we have the tradition, the priests and the religious, yes, they're called to give everything. But all Christians are called to give everything. In the Gospel, there's no two levels of Christians, the religious and the clergy and the others. We are, every Christian is called to give everything. And if you, if you say the Our Father, that's what you're saying. Thy will be done. So that means everything in our lives. Now what we can find often is that we've given certain areas of our lives up to a point at any rate, but not others. You see, that means giving our money, our property. Have you thought that your money belongs to Jesus, that you're only a steward, that your property belongs to Jesus, and if Jesus gives you a nudge and says, do that with it, right, that's what you've got to do. It applies too to our relationships, our friendships, our sexuality. All that is something we say, Jesus, this is yours, may your perfect will be done in it. May your perfect will be done in all my relationships, in my sexuality, in every part of my affectivity. Jesus, I give it to you, including our weaknesses and sinfulness. It applies to our hobbies, the way we spend our time and energy. I know one man who's a university professor in the renewal, and he used to play chess for his university. And apparently when you play chess for your university, that means a certain amount of study and a certain amount of concentration. Now there's nothing wrong with playing chess. But he realized that he was giving too much time and energy to chess. And he handed all that over to God and he stopped playing chess for the university to give more time to his family, more time to prayer. And he's a happier man for having done so. We've all got to say, have, is there some area of our life there which we're holding back? We say, Lord, everything, but don't take away my car, my family, that relationship, my prestige, my job, my health. But it's all yours, Lord. <laughs> no, if it means anything, it means everything. We're called to give everything. And try, so it's good to us to examine from time to time the various aspects of our lives and see where we're not, in fact, giving everything. Where we've said to Jesus, Jesus, keep off the grass there, that's mine. And you know when you'll say that prayer absolutely perfectly, when you get to heaven. So there's more, we shall always have to go on, getting nearer to Jesus there, trying to say that prayer more authentically.
Now the third aspect is listening. And this, I think, is the most neglected of the five, and therefore I'm going to try to treat it perhaps just a bit longer. You see, prayer is meant to be a dialogue with God, with Jesus, with the heavenly beings. And so often our prayer is just a monologue, isn't it? And sometimes poor God finds it very difficult to get in the word edgeways because we're telling him all the time what he's got to do. So you see, in our prayer we need to put aside daily time to listening. You know, the boy Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. And so often all our prayer is, listen Lord, your servant is speaking. We need to put aside in our daily routine of prayer time for just listening to God. And I think we need to do this in two sort of different ways. One is about problems we want an answer to. Lord, do you want me to go on that holiday? Do you want me to accept that job? Do you want me to propose in marriage to this lady? Do you want me to go this afternoon into the town? It may be big things, it may be small things. So we need to put these things into the hands of God and then sort of listen. Now I'm not saying that we should expect dramatic answers. Sometimes God does re reply dramatically, but normally not. You put the problem in his hand. Do, Lord, do you want me to give up this job? Or even a small thing, go this afternoon to London. And then if we sort of listen, either the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit may illuminate our reasons so that we see clearly. So, you know, before sometimes, sometimes when we look at a problem, it seems six of one and half a dozen of the other. And when we put it in God's hands and listen, he just may sort of clarify our thinking and it becomes clear. Or it may be we get a sort of interior nudge from the Lord, a sort of yes or no. I tend to get a sort of mental yes or no, or not yet, or something like that. Other people, well, God will in other ways. It doesn't have to be dramatic. I'm not talking about dramatic things. Maybe just you weren't certain before and then it becomes certain what God does want you to do. You feel confident. But we, that means we put it in his hands and we spend enough time listening. But we shouldn't only listen about the agenda we give to God. You know, we have to see what his agenda for us is. You see, I might be wanting God all the time, God, do you want me to undertake this journey? And God might be wanting half a chance to tell me something far more important. Be kind, discern so. You remember, I remember once I said, Lord, just what have you got to say to me, Lord? What he said to me very clearly was I got to fast a bit more. It wasn't what I was wanting to hear. But we've got to give a certain amount of time in our daily prayer just to listening to what he may have to say to us. And I think reading the Bible can be a key part of that. You know, I think surely a prayerful spiritual reading should be a normal part of our daily lives and normally of the Bible. And I'm not talking about the study of the Bible. That's a very good thing, but that's something different and we should do, do, do that at other times. But really, ask God to feed you spiritually through the reading of his word, to speak to you through the reading of his word, and after that prayer, just read and wait for God to speak to you through it or show you something. I don't mean in a dramatic way. You might read something about forgiveness and you listen and God reminds you of somebody you haven't fully forgiven. But that, I think, reading, our spiritual reading of the Bible can have a very important role in our listening to God. Please turn your cassette over now. Every petition should be subject to that. But Jesus also wants us to ask for specific things. Ask and it will be given you, he said. You know, there are times when we should be beating on the gates of heaven for specific intentions. And you find that in the lives of the saints. They don't just sit back and say, thy will be done. Everything they say is subject to thy will be done. But you find them beating on the gates of heaven. Lord, heal that person. Lord, help that person. Lord, convert that person. Lord, help me. That should be part of our life of prayer. And we need an expectant faith. I'm sure God wants to give far more of the gift of mountain-moving faith. 
And you know, there are many Christians who never apparently see answers to prayer, and I think that's wrong. I think there are times, I think in the normal Christian life, we shall at times experience answers to prayer. I had a little one yesterday, right, a very little one. I got a big heavy case here, and I needed to get it to the other side. And I said, Lord, what do you want to do about this? And I found myself talking to someone I know three yards away, and their car was five yards away, and they said, well, I'll put... It was all got gone like that. All right, a little thing. You might say a coincidence, but what we find is that when we pray for things, these coincidences, which we should regard I rightly often as God incidences, happen far more. When we pray for them, they happen far more. So what do we need to do about our prayer? I think we all at times need to repent of our lack of faith. If you're not seeing answers to prayer, repent of your lack of faith and ask for the gift of expectant faith, mountain-moving faith, and then I think you'll begin to see more answers in prayer. Every authentic prayer makes a difference. It won't be answered necessarily in the way we first hoped, but every authentic prayer makes a difference. If we prayed today for Northern Ireland, things are going to be different in Northern Ireland because we've prayed. We don't know exactly what. what. One gunman may have decided not to shoot instead of shoot. One person may have decided to forgive instead of remain bitter. Every authentic prayer makes a difference. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Even if it isn't answered in the way we first hoped, we may pray for the healing of a terminal, terminal cancer, they may die, but if we're praying for that person in their right way, our prayer will have made a difference. And I would add this, of course, that fasting can make a difference too. Try adding fasting to prayer. There's not time to develop that this afternoon. And perseverance. Some people give up praying too soon. St. Augustine's mother, St. Monica, prayed for nearly 20 years, or about 20 years, for the conversion of St. Augustine. And he went from bad to worse, and worse to still worse. And if she'd given up after 10 years and said, well, it's a hopeless case, that would have been too soon. And there are certain things we just have to go on praying for to the end of our lives and we, maybe we shall only see the answer in heaven. There will be parents here who've got children who've fallen away from Christianity altogether and you may have been praying for 20 years for their return and there are no signs of it. Go on praying to your last day and you may see the answer in this life and you may find that prayer may be answered at the moment of your child's death when they see Jesus and turn to him. There are certain prayers we just have to go on praying to the end, knowing that God is faithful, that all authentic prayer makes a difference in one way or another, and it's our duty to pray, and results are his business. Now, I think one of the things God wants to do in our time is to raise up people with special ministries of intercession. Some people, we're all called to pray, most of us are called to pray far more, but God gives some people very special ministries of intercession. And if you're a very per busy person in the office with lots of family demands, that's probably not you or not you yet. But it's often older people, sicker people, people who have more time. There are many people who can, and I often find older people, you know, they're very discouraged and depressed. They say, I used to be useful, I was able to help him this way or that way. Now I can no longer do this, I can no longer do that. I'm useless, I'm a burden on the others. I wish I wasn't here. And I think very often the answer to their needs is to show them that God is calling them to a ministry of intercession. That their lives can be wonderfully fruitful for themselves and others through prayer. And you know, this can go right on to the end. How many of us here will finish in the geriatric ward? I don't know. But if we do, and many of us will, we can know that our lives can be wonderfully fruitful to the last second through love, through acceptance, through prayer. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Through offering up. Ministers of intercession. And I think that's very important for older people who feel, well, you know, I've passed my usefulness, life's feeling empty now. When God closes one door, he opens another, 
And for older people or sicker people, that is often a ministry of intercession. That is a wonderful blessing, and there's nobody here who God may not call later in their life, if he hasn't done already, to a powerful ministry of intercession. And you may be able to do powerful work for the peace of the world, for the conversion of the world, through your prayers, through your acceptance, through your love. Isn't that a wonderful thought? We can always serve God wonderfully fruitfully. Now praising, and I'm going to try and be brief about this, and I use that in the wide sense of thanksgiving, including thanksgiving and adoration. I think the release of praise is the most special characteristic of charismatic spirituality. I know that in my own life, praised as a monk, praise didn't really begin to flow till I received the gift of tongues in 1972. And that's a disgraceful thing to admit because the monks' lives is meant to be a life of singing the praises of God. But praise, no, I didn't really understand praise until I received the gift of tongues in 1972. And that sort of transformed my whole life of prayer. Sort of real turning point in my whole life. Well, that may be so for other people too. That God wants you to have a new understanding of praise. You see, praise in a way should be the, the main theme in prayer in general. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it started with, Hallowed be thy name, praise. St. Peter talks of us, in, uh, calls us a people set apart to sing the praises of God. 1 Peter chapter 2. The Mass is the center of our lives. The Mass is also called the Eucharist. The word Eucharist means thanksgiving. So often we can go to Mass, and I've done it for decades myself, so I wouldn't be surprised if other people do, Rarely thinking, the main thing I've got to go to Mass for is to ask for this, ask for that. There may have been good things like Christian unity or the peace of the world or this sick person. But I think in the first decades of my priesthood, the first two, I think I regarded Mass as rarely, if I was honest, with asking God for things. A wonderful occasion to ask him for things. It is, of course, a wonderful occasion to ask him for things, but it is even more a wonderful occasion to thank, to praise, to adore. Now, I'm not going to develop this subject because there isn't time, but I want to say this. The importance of praising God in difficult circumstances. You see, it's easy to praise God when things are going well. But we've got to praise God when things are not going well. And for that, we need to get our priorities right. We should praise God for all his blessings. That means the fine weather, the good dinner, the fact that your wife's in a good mood, the fact that somebody's given you a rise financially at work. Praise God for all those things, but not primarily for those things. Primarily praise God for the fact that he created you out of love. Praise God, praise Jesus, that Jesus saved you. Praise God that you've been given the Holy Spirit. Praise God that Jesus is with you to lead you to heaven, to lead you to leave, lead a fruitful life. Now, you see, if you primarily praise God for the good weather and the good mood of your wife, well, then when the weather's bad or your wife's in a bad mood, you stop praising. But the, the main things we have to praise God for never disappear. And we should praise God for being in the circumstances in which we find ourselves, and that is difficult sometimes. I find it very difficult at times. But you see, the, the circumstances where you find yourself at this moment, with all the problems, all the impossibilities, all the difficulties, all the rat-in-the-corner situations, the situation you are in at this moment where God's loving providence has put you, even if your own sins have played a part in getting you there, being where you are at the moment is God's opportunity of doing beautiful things in your lives. And Jesus is Lord of this situation if you let him be. So we can always praise God for being where we are, Praise God, praise Jesus, he's Lord of this situation. Praise Jesus, he has a plan for you from where you are at this moment. You know the nice story about an Irishman. Somebody asked an Irishman the way to a distant village in the road, and the Irishman stopped for a moment and said, well, if I were for you, I wouldn't start from here. <laughs> well, you see, we start from here, and we praise God that we are where we are. And I know it's difficult sometimes. I find it very difficult at times. But particularly when things are difficult, make sure there's enough praise and thanksgiving in your daily life. 
Because when things are difficult, we tend, if you, some of us, just to slope off into nothing but intercession and, uh, and the praise falls away. You know, what I hope I'd do, you know, if we were told the atomic bomb was going off in 10 minutes, you know what I hope I would do? hope I'd spend those 10 minutes praising God. What I would do, I'd probably be running out of the door before the rest of you, but what I hope I'd be doing is praising God. And you know, there's nothing in our life on earth which is so like the life of heaven as praising God. You see, in heaven, you're called to be praising God eternally. So you better make a start on it now, haven't you? And I sometimes think of this, sometimes when I say hallelujah, I, thought, I, I had a sort of picture from the Lord when I sort of said an alleluia, it was as if alleluia were printed on a little bit of paper and that just floated off to eternity and that alleluia is praising God in eternity for all time because God is outside time. And our lives can be wonderfully fruitful in praise at all times. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Our lives can be wonderfully fruitful in praise at all times. The gift of tongues can be a great help to praise but I'm not going to talk about that now. Just to say one thing. The gift of tongues is a gift of contemplative prayer, as Bob Fallacy reminds us. It can be a wonderful form of deepening a life of prayer. I expect, most people who have the gift of tongues pray in tongues daily and many times daily, and it can be a very good thing to put aside quite a time for prayer in tongues. A quarter of an hour or more. You remember Jackie Pullinger's story? It was, you know, she had the gift of tongues and prayed for a bit in tongues and found it wasn't much point and dropped it for a year. And then an American couple got her to promise to pray in tongues daily for at least a quarter of an hour. And she didn't find it uplifting and she did it looking at her watch and she wished she hadn't made the promise. And then the great difference happened. And what was the difference? Not that she felt uplifted when she prayed in tongues. But when she prayed in tongues, quarter of an hour or more each day, when she prayed for people for healing, they got healed instead of not being healed. When she spoke to them about Jesus as Lord, they began to believe instead of not believing. When she prayed for drug addicts, they got off without difficulties. So what thrilled her was not the experience of praying in tongues, but what happened in her life when she started praying in tongues. How God was able to use her in a new way when she prayed regularly and for quite a time in tongues. God may want to have something to say to some of us here about that. There may be some people here who God is saying, if you give me a quarter of an hour or half an hour and end in tongues each day, you'll see my power working in you in a new way. I come across a certain number of Christians who say to me, I'm not attracted by the charismatic renewal. I prefer the more contemplative way of silent prayer, of meditation. And that is a profound misunderstanding of the charismatic renewal. The gift of tongues is a contemplative gift of prayer. And you know, sometimes in the midst of a noisy prayer meeting, people receive not only contemplative gifts, but mystical gifts. I can remember once in our Friday night prayer group many years ago, we were praying for the coming of the Spirit in a general way and baptism of the Spirit for a certain number of people. And dear Father Peter Town was leading the prayer, I think. And there was a Protestant lady there, a Swiss Protestant, not practicing, who'd started coming to the prayer meeting, but didn't go forward for the baptism of the Spirit because she could not believe in the divinity of Christ. People had talked to her, people had tried to persuade her, they'd showed her the scriptures. She just could not believe in the divinity of Christ. And as we were praising God in a very noisy way in tongues, she was just zonked by the Spirit. The Spirit just took over us. She said about five minutes. And she found after that she believed in the divinity of Christ, and that was it. You know, great things can happen in noisy prayer meetings, things which are more than contemplative, mystical. Don't ever let people get away with the idea that charismatic renewal is not contemplative, that contemplative prayer is not part of it. But I would also say this, that an effective, suitable, fruitful participation in the weekly prayer meeting presupposes enough time alone with the Lord each day of the week. There has to be that silent prayer in our lives. And it's good also to have periods of silence in the prayer meeting itself.
A short word, and I'm coming to the end now. Difficulties in prayer. It is normal that at times we shall go through difficult periods of prayer. When prayer becomes difficult, and there can be different reasons for it, and we have to try and see what the reason is. It may be because we're not giving enough time to prayer. It may be because in one or other area of our lives we're not being faithful to Jesus. You know, if we've got a sexual relationship which isn't right, we can't be surprised if our prayer life isn't flourishing. If we're worshipping mammon in business, we can't be surprised if our prayer life isn't flourishing. Is there something in my life where I'm not even trying to follow Jesus seriously that will obviously cause difficulties in prayer? It may be because we're too busy in our life in general, and the answer to that may be to try and be less busy and more time in prayer. If you're overtired through activity, when it comes to the time of prayer, well, you just more or less just have to sort of rest and let things roll off, don't you? So that may be one reason. Or it may be because God is leading us through a dark night, a time of desert, the whole tradi tra Catholic tradition of the contemplative life, of the life of prayer, says that there will be times of darkness, of aridity, of dryness, there will be desert periods. And if that's so, we just have to be faithful in the dryness and the difficulty. And the whole tradition of St. John of the Cross reminds us, tells us there, that those times can be especially times of spiritual growth. But in this question of the life of prayer, we need to share with other people. We shouldn't just be living our life of prayer on our own. We need to have other people who can help us to discern. It may be a prayer partner. It may be other members of your prayer group. I think we all need a spiritual counselor or director. I think we all need that, really. And I think another thing which can be helpful is to have a spiritual journal so that you write down your experiences and difficulties in prayer so that you can share those with the spiritual advisor and read over them yourselves at times. And now I come to the last point. I'm going to say a few words about Our Lady. I think devotion to Our Lady is important for a Catholic. You can be a wonderful saint without ever asking Our Lady to pray for you. Many Protestants are holy people and they've never asked Our Lady to pray for them. But it's normal that a Catholic has a real devotion to Our Lady, that we seek to have a deep devotion to Our Lady. For many people, that may, be, that may take the form of praying the rosary every day, Remember in Medjugorje and elsewhere, Our Lady's been recommending the Rosary. And for many people that's a help, and God bless them if it is, and that may be the way forward. But it's important that we don't limit devotion to Our Lady to the Rosary. Some people find the Rosary not very easy. And maybe God is calling them to pray to His Mother in a different way. You know, the Byzantine Rite Christians have just as great a devotion to Our Lady as we have, but they never say the Rosary. They have other forms of devotion, like the Akatistos hymn. So somebody might prefer, find it easier to say the, the Litany of Our Lady. Some people find it helpful to pray before an icon of Our Lady. I think it's a beautiful thing to have icons of Our Lady in our homes. Pray to Our Lady through the icon. I think something of that kind can help often. I think, too, for the rosary, it can be good to have variations in the rosary. There was a very good article in the Pecos newsletter not very long ago about saying the rosary. And uh, it pointed out that in the normal traditional 15 mysteries, we meditate on nothing between our Lord among the Pharisees at the age of about 12 and Gethsemane. And it could be good sometimes to insert other mysteries, the baptism of our Lord, the transfiguration of our Lord, the raising of Lazarus, or some other scene in the Gospel. It, could be, it can be good to have a sort of Christian liberty in taking other mysteries sometimes. I know one person who says the rosary like this sometimes, the Our Fathers are the same, the glories are the same, the mysteries are the same. Instead of saying the Hail Mary, they say, Our Lady, or they say, Mary, pray for me a sinner, 
pray for us. Pray for me, a sinner. Pray for us. Or they might even say, pray for me, a sinner. Pray for John. Pray for Northern Ireland. As the Spirit leads them. And that rather links up as a type of prayer with the Jesus prayer. It's sort of effective prayer. Try that sometime, perhaps, if you find uh, saying the rosary not always easy. Or even if you do find it easy, you might find that enriching as an alternative. Some people find praying to Our Lady or praying, asking her to pray for us difficult because their Christianity is too cerebral. You know, it's difficult to explain to a Protestant our prayer to Our Lady. It has no immediate foundation in Scripture. They'll say, I can't see the reason for it. And I think the answer really is, I don't think you can really understand devotion to Our Lady and prayer to Our Lady until you experience it yourself or you see the fruits of it in other people's lives. I never asked Our Lady to pray for me till I was 22. And it's been a wonderful grace to come across to have a spiritual mother since then. And what Protestants can sometimes see is, you know, they can see how our devotion to Our Lady helps us to love Jesus more. You remember David Duplessis, that great Pentecostal, went to Medjugorje not long ago, and he was favorably impressed. Why? Because he saw Medjugorje was a place which was helping people to love Jesus better. And so perhaps we can show our Protestant friends that our devotion to Our Lady helps us to love Jesus better. There can be a certain form of Catholicism sometimes which is over-cerebral, too much focused on ideas. And you see, ideas don't have a mother. You see, at the center of the Christian Gospel is not an idea, but a person, Jesus, who leads us to his Heavenly Father and to his mother and to others. Christianity is in the first place a quest of relation with persons, not ideas. Ideas don't have mothers, people do. So, in these days, I'm sure one of the things we'll ask is ask God to increase our devotion to, to Mary, ask Our Lady to pray for us, ask her to help us to have a greater love for her son, ask her to help us to have a greater appreciation of her motherhood. Amen. I'm sorry, it's gone on rather long, hasn't it? Sorry for that. I wonder if that, anybody who wants to go, go. <laughs> Should we just have a moment's silence? Those who want to go, go. And if anybody's got a question after that moment, well, we'll try and answer it. But please feel free to go. to the Lord to see if he's saying to you anything about, to you personally about your life of prayer for what's been said. Spending as much time in prayer as Jesus wants. Just ask him to, if he's anything to say about that one. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Any questions? Did everybody hear the question? Uh, what do I think about the use of a mantra to still one's mind and help one in prayer? For instance, she finds it helpful sometimes to concentrate on a candle. Yes, I think that can be helpful. You know, I talked about the Jesus prayer, and the Jesus prayer can be a form of mantra, particularly if you just repeat the word Jesus.
If you find that helps, do. Some people do. Just to repeat a word, it may be Jesus or something else, and that helps to still your mind. Certainly, I think that can be helpful. For those who find it helpful, try it and do it. Certainly. But not everybody, I think, is necessarily led in that way. But that's, you see, that's very deep in the, in the Christian tradition. I mean, the cloud of unknowing is very much on that line, and the Jesus prayers on that line. And, uh... Uh, I just came home from Northern Ireland on uh, Thursday night. Now, I'm not a member of any prayer group. My wife has uh, said that I've been led here. Now, she had once to come here since she'd been 13 years of age. Two months have passed. Now, what I don't understand. Right. Now that, that is interesting. Our brother here from Northern Ireland is asking about the gift of tongues and why we raise our hands. Well, let's, let me deal with those to start with. Yes. Singing in tongues. Right, let me just say a few words about the gift of tongues. First of all, just a few words, it's thoroughly biblical. Jesus says at the end of Mark, believers will speak in new tongues. It happened on Pentecost Day, it happened when the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles for the first time in the house of Cornelius. It happened when St. Paul prayed over six people at Ephesus. The gift of tongues is mentioned twice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where St. Paul is correcting certain abuses of the gift of tongues. He nevertheless says, I want you to all to speak in tongues. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. And he says that tongues edifies, that spills up. So the gift of tongues has a very full, serious, biblical basis. Now, there are millions of Christians in the world, including millions of Catholics, who can testify that their life of prayer has been greatly enriched and strengthened by the gift of tongues, just as I said that I only began to understand praise as a monk after I got the gift of tongues. It's been estimated that there are something like 700,000 Roman Catholics in the United States with the gift of tongues. So it is not a rare gift, it's not an exceptional gift. It's not an ecstatic gift. And you shouldn't say too quickly, I don't want the gift of tongues. It's not a sign of spiritual maturity. You know, maybe God wants to give you the gift of tongues, not because you're any good at prayer, because you're so lousy at prayer you need some help. <laughs> so you see, if you're no good at praying at all, if you're less than a beginner, maybe God wants to give you the gift of tongues just to get, help get you off the ground. So that's what I say about those things about the gift of tongues. But you did raise another point which I think is interesting. The first time I heard someone speak in tongues, I was highly suspicious. Somebody was jabbering away, it might have been an African language, an North Asian language, I didn't know what, or pretending to be, I was very suspicious. And I was even more suspicious when I heard someone else giving an interpretation, some past platitude, and I thought, oh, how do I know there's any connection? But the first time I heard a group singing beautifully in tongues, which was at a Fountain Trust meeting, I was bowled over. Because I knew I was listening to something which no human being could explain at the human level. You see, you raise a very important point there. When we sing in tongues in a group, sometimes it's more beautiful, sometimes it's less. But it's not chaotic. Now, there's no human conductor, there are no fixed words, there's no fixed music. No one says, you and you will sing and you and you will keep silent. So by every human rule, it ought to be the most ghastly cacophony. And it isn't, is it? 
And that is a sign, in my opinion, that the Holy Spirit is in it. I think every time we listen in our prayer meetings to beautiful singing, singing in tongues, we are listening to something which no scientist on the face of the earth can explain, no musicologist. And it's a sign that the Holy Spirit is in the gift of tongues. Now the question of raising one's hands, you see, the Bible talks about lifting hands to the Lord, and Jesus will have prayed like this. And if you look at the catacombs, you find the easiest, the earliest pictures of Christians praying. It's not this or kneeling, it's this. Now, it's a matter of secondary importance, really. The important thing is that we pray well. It's a matter of secondary importance. But nevertheless, when people pray like this, if they find it helpful, they're praying in the, in, in, in the line of the Bible in the way Jesus did. You know, it's funny. We, we, we say in the Psalms, clap your hands to the Lord and shout aloud to the Lord. And in most of our churches, everybody clapped their hands. They probably were scandalized. Anybody shouted, they'd be horrified. But they don't mind singing that in the psalm. But, uh, you know, not to worry about it. There's no agreed sign. There's no agreed sign. It's the Holy Spirit who stops it. <laughs> I, I think people will probably want to go now. If there's anyone, if there's one more question. First question, did everybody hear it? Well, she said, I mean, are, is everyone called to contemplation? Because she, many people are telling her they're not. Um, I would believe, and that's the main Christian to Catholic tradition, that everyone is called to contemplation, yes. Not everybody is called to an extraordinary contemplative life. Not everybody is caused to, called to high gifts of infused contemplation. But I think there has to be a certain experience of God and Jesus in our prayer. It's, you know, it's normal that we have a certain experience of Jesus, of the Father, indeed of the Holy Spirit, in our prayer. And that's, that is a sort of contemplative element. I would regard that as normal. But I think, you see, as I would see it, the sort of loud praising we've had here and the silent contemplation are complementary and go very well together. Very well together. Not to be opposed very well together. As I said, a joyful participation in a This a is the end of this tape. Time in silence with the Lord we will allow the tape to run but its I also course. think that if you're just going for the silence, you're missing out on something which is very biblical all the same. You know, the Christian community 